You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Hello everybody, my name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And you're listening to another episode of Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies, the one you watched growing up, the ones you are nostalgic over, and we watch them objectively. We let you know, are these movies any good, or are you blinded by nostalgia? This week we watched 2000s sci-fi action comic book adaptation of X-Men. <laughs> the first one. Uh, wow, yeah. Zach. X-Men, a film series that has got a lot of highs, got a lot of lows. Also a series I can't say I'm 100% familiar with. And we're going to start this podcast off out right quick with just this uh, disclaimer. Neither of us deep into comic book lore, from what I understand. No, no, not at all. Um, and, you know, I, I think... I think our our thinking of watching this wasn't to like get back into like the idea of X-Men like we're not huge X-Men fans. It was the idea that this really kind of kickstarted the superhero movie craze. I mean like this was did this predate Spider-Man? This did predate Spider-Man. Technically this is the third film based off a Marvel comic ever to be released with the first two being Howard the Duck and Blade. Uh, but X-Men, really the first to really establish that sort of team-up narrative that is, god damn it, everywhere. Really prevalent nowadays. It's kind of, I mean, that's all we get, these comic book adaptations. Yeah, and we'll see how that affects our viewing. But uh, uh, Yeah, trust nice. a few, fear the rest, by the way, that's the tagline. Could be uh, <laughs> almost a way to um, uh, tackle these directors, because uh, looking through the roster of the filmmakers who've made these movies, a lot of them are grossos. I know, it was, I, I <laughs> when I saw the the director here i was like okay here we go um Uh, but anyway yeah oh i'm sorry i was just gonna kind of finish that thought that you had there was no i think before i saw this movie it like this was kind of my introduction to x-men like i had seen the cartoon like a few times maybe but i could really only tell you who uh wolverine was and maybe Cyclops and maybe Dr. X, but everybody else. Oh, and Storm, because Storm was like the obvious. I think everybody knew who that was. But uh, but other than that, like I couldn't tell you a single thing about the X-Men. Yeah. And other than I think other than Batman and my dad maybe showing me one of the earlier Superman movies, this was really my first introduction to like the comic book movies were kind of more accustomed to today. Like, I remember getting X-Men on VHS tape, didn't see it in theaters, but I remember getting it the next year for my birthday or Christmas or something, and a movie I watched fairly frequently, but I have to admit, Zach, I don't think I've seen this first X-Men in, like, 15 years. Like, it's been a while. Oh, easily. Yeah, easily. And and it's, it's interesting because I've seen a bunch of the sequels, like... I don't think I ever saw X3 because people hated that movie and I didn't see the first Wolverine or the second Wolverine or maybe I did see the second Wolverine, the one where he goes to Japan for some reason. <laughs> Wolverine goes to Japan, I think is the title of it. That is the subtitle. But yeah. then I saw I saw Days of Futures Past and Apo- an Apocalypse, but then obviously Logan I think is probably my favorite movie of the bunch. 
and it, I think it's the last foray into the X Men that I remember. I guess technically Deadpool is is part of that universe as well. But yeah, we'll get into the full series here. But I agreed, uh, X Men and X Two. I probably haven't seen really since they first came out, and then the other ones I kind of watched when they came out. A few of them I still have missed, but honestly, I'd say Logan. And the Deadpool movies are are my favorite thing to have come out of this uh, timeline, I suppose. I would agree. I think Logan probably for me. But this first one here, X-Men, it is directed by noted creep and alleged sack of shit, Brian Singer, uh, who's yeah. responsible for his fair share of really good films and not so good movies, uh, such as The Usual Suspects, Apt Pupil, X-Men, and X2, X-Men United. He then went on to do uh, Superman Returns, Valkyrie, Jack the Giant Slayer, which fucking no one must remember. Uh, no. X-Men Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse, and most recently he directed most of, but did not finish, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, which uh, I'll just be upfront with that. I fucking hate Bohemian Rhapsody. Anyway. <laughs> I'd say there's a good two or three pretty sweet move. Like, the usual suspects I still think holds up. But again, the cast of that one now, you got Kevin Spacey directed by Brian Singer. I can't watch that movie without fucking feeling terrible about myself. Yeah, like, fuck me. <laughs> Also, Jack and the Giant Slayer, I saw on like syndication on HBO one time, and it was, uh, I don't know why they fucking made that movie, if I'm being honest with you. Like, it's just kind of like, they just had the IP, and they're like, yeah, let's do it. So, X-Men, of course, based on the Marvel Comics superhero team of the same name, which first debuted in print back in the early 1960s. Uh, I grew accustomed to them, not through the comic books, I wasn't a comic book reader, uh, but I did love that 90s animated series. I think a lot of people growing up in our generation, it was it was kind of a staple of, of some of their childhoods. And I do think it's one of the best of like that one. And I did like the Batman animated series. Like those were fucking oh, those were awesome. Yeah, I never actually watched much of it, if I'm being honest with you. I wasn't a big like cartoon superhero person. But, um, you know. But again, like that was that was my real introduction to it. Like I'd never read a, I've never read an X-Men comic. Yeah. So for all you people out there who are going to correct all the mistakes we're bound to make, just yeah. just take it easy. All right. So as you mentioned, yeah, this this fucking series. So I'm going to run them down really quickly. It went on to spawn a series of films. Obviously, X2 came out just two years later, 2003. X-Men The Last Stand in 2006, which incidentally also directed by noted creep and alleged sack of shit Brett Ratner. We then got the spinoff X-Men Origins Wolverine in 2009, directed by Gavin Hood. That's the the one with the really fun opening sequence where he's like in World War, like he's in like World War One or some shit, and oh, like yeah. throughout, yeah, history and stuff. Uh, terrible film, but a, a fun opening credit sequence. We then got the prequel directed by Matthew Vaughn, X Men First Class in 2011, which I I rather liked, if I can remember. I think that one was pretty good. I liked First Class. Um, I mean, yep. Benedict Cumberbatch is a or not better. Oh my God, wow. Yeah, you'll put do me that. in movie. You'll put do me that. in movie jail for that one. <laughs> Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender is what I was thinking of. I feel like they're interchangeable sometimes, but um, he's great. He's he's one of my favorites, so I'm a little upset at myself for saying that. But yeah, (laughs) him as Magneto, I really enjoyed. But uh, yeah, we got James Mangold brought us the uh, Wolverine in 2013. That's the one where he does, in fact, go to Japan. And fights that big yep. like metal. Watched it in theaters. Okay, all right. I don't know if I've seen yeah. that one all the way through, to be honest. I, you know, I, I remember really enjoying it. I remember being like, you know what, this is just kind of cool. Yeah, like, I can watch Wolverine just like beat up ninjas all day. <laughs> uh, the very next year came X Men: Days of Future Past in 2014, which saw Singer come back to the franchise. I will admit, I did like that one. Had some time travel elements and whatnot. 
the let's say he followed that one up with X-Men Apocalypse in 2016, which I still have not seen. I guess I actually I said I saw that. I don't think I've seen it either now that I'm thinking on it. That's the one they with all meld together. Yeah, I know Oscar Isaac in like purple makeup or something doing going on there. Yeah. I don't know. Then uh, James Mangold came back to the franchise with Logan in 2017. Uh, which I believe is the only one of these that was nominated for an Oscar, at least for writing anyway. It was nominated for like a Best Adapted Screenplay, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Then we got Dark Phoenix in 2019, which had dismal reviews directed by Simon Kinberg. Still haven't seen that one. And uh, let's also not forget the two Deadpool movies, which are technically set in the same universe, released in 2016 and 2018 respectively, and most recently, The New Mutants in 2020, which I also did not see. No, I wanted to, and then I saw the reviews, and I was like, yeah, that's okay. Huh, but yeah, as we mentioned, X-Men really kicked it off. It did predate uh, Spider-Man and I think 20th Century Fox and more so Marvel were really like banking on the success of X-Men to kind of give them the confidence to move forward with Spider-Man and Hulk and all these other ones that came out right in those uh, that early 2000s, before 2005 anyway. They released a, a few of them anyway. Um, but the first one here, X-Men, pretty well received by critics and audiences. It's got a 7.4 on IMDb, an 82% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with a critic's consensus that reads, faithful to the comics and filled with action, X-Men brings a crowded slate of classic Marvel characters to the screen with a talented ensemble cast and surprisingly sharp narrative focus. Okay. Roger Ebert, though, not a fan, did give it thumbs down, just to give you a heads up. But uh, it did cost $75 million to make. It earned $127 million in the U.S. and $296 million worldwide. It placed eighth on the domestic box office charts that year, uh, domestically beating out the only other remotely comic book entry in 2000, which was Unbreakable. So if you could think back to 2000, if you look at the top 10 over the last, I don't know, 10 years, out of the top 10, it's like seven out of 10 of them are all movies based on comic book movies. Yeah. And if you look at the year 2000, it's literally X-Men. And then I guess you can maybe qualify Unbreakable as it's kind of about superheroes, but not actually based on a comic book. Yeah. What a fucking, yeah. <laughs> what a fucking turn we've made in 20 years. What a years. world. Yeah. yeah. What a world we used to live in. Are we in a better place? Bro? Oh gosh. Your thoughts. <laughs> no, I'll say no. Uh, Me neither. And I do actually believe it made 157 million just to stop the tweet. So, uh, instead of 127, I did make a mistake there. However, moving forward, at the time of its release, X-Men uh, had the sixth biggest opening of all time and marked the first time in history that three movies had consecutive opening weekends over $40 million in North America. The first week was The Perfect Storm, previous episode. Whoa. <laughs> the next week was Scary Movie, which made $42.3 million, which Whoa. made a future episode. And, uh, and then this one, which made, I think, 50-something, so pretty crazy. And uh, development of X-Men, the property, really began as early as like the mid-80s with James Cameron and Catherine Bigelow in um, talks to like draft a script and, and, and actually film the movie. Uh, a ton of different scripts were commissioned over the years. Reportedly, Robert Rodriguez and Paul W.S. Anderson turned down the opportunity to direct. Mm. That's not Paul Thomas Anderson, which would yes. be a very different X-Men. That'd be an interesting <laughs> X-Men. It would be one I'd watch um, to be clear. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And then just briefly, just some alternative casting decisions um, did include Russell Crowe and Viggo Mortensen uh, being sought after the role of Wolverine uh, that went to really the relative unknown Hugh Jackman. This was really his introduction to American audiences. Man, could you imagine Hugh Jack, anybody but Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine? That's crazy. That's the thing. Yeah. And there's, there's this well-known story of how, I guess, Dugray Scott, 
who you probably don't really recognize that name, but in the early 2000s, he was kind of a commodity. He was actually cast as the villain in Mission Impossible 2. He was cast as Wolverine in a multi-film deal, but was forced to back out due to scheduling conflicts with Mission Impossible 2 in early 1990, October of 99. And he also sustained some injuries on a, in a motorbike accident for that film. Jackman then cast three weeks into filming uh, based on a successful audition. <laughs> Can you imagine how pissed off that guy must be? Like, to see yeah. how many movies <laughs> this guy's gotten out of this deal? Like, oh my God. I, I mean, like, the, the Logan movie must have been the last straw for him, too, because he's like, <laughs> well, at least they're all kind of, like, low-level, shitty superhero movies. Then Logan comes out, and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, that guy's probably dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, like... <laughs> no, that's so sad, though. Like, yeah, that I feel sucks. That Yeah, I mean, that's not fun. And then just the last, a couple of last ones, uh, Jim Caviezel was originally um, cast as Cyclops, but I think dropped out uh, due to scheduling conflicts with Frequency, that movie he was making with Dennis Quaid back in the day. And uh, She's All That, Rachel Lee Cook was going to be Rogue, and uh, Charlize Theron turned down the role of Jean Grey. Wow, interesting. Well, I mean, that worked out for her, I guess. Um, But I, I will say this, though. I am all for making Jim Caviezel more weird shit. Like I want Jim Caviezel. Like I, I want just a world where we, that we live in where Jesus and Cyclops are played by the same guy. (laughs) Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like I just need, I need more of that. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we can hop into this. Uh, It is PG 13 for sci-fi action violence. And I will breathe i was I, I breathed a sigh of release when i saw that runtime i was expecting a good 220 oh. for one of these fucking movies but no this is a cool no. hour 45 i like i like that a lot this is such a nice wheelhouse for a movie like this i remember at one point being like because i remember what the last scene was and i remember they get there and i was like wait this movie's almost over yes yeah, yeah. no way it flew <laughs> like, by. It's, it's awesome <laughs> so uh we begin with a little voiceover, mutation is the key to evolution. We hear from uh, Patrick Stewart in, in what I got to admit is a very similar opening credit sequence to Fight Club, which came out just the year before. Like the whole zooming in and out of the thing, even the font is almost identical to the Fight Club font where it's like zooming out of his head or the gun or something, that sweat pour at the beginning of that movie. You think um, maybe they just started the movie cold or something and test audiences are like, what? <laughs> I don't know where I am. I don't know who's in this. Can you tell me who produced the movie? <laughs> They're like, oh, shit, what are we going to do? Uh, fight Club, Fight Club. Throw it in there. Yeah, because it really does look very similar. But uh, we do begin, as every comic book film should, in Nazi-occupied Poland in 1944. Yes, yes. appropriate. <laughs> Whoa, I did not remember this. Uh, young I did. Eric? Yeah, oh, you did. Okay, yeah. I did, yeah. And, and actually, I remember it being like probably the thing that stuck with me the most in this movie. This is a badass opening. This is a great scene. Um, it is. It's like very it's dark. <laughs> Schindler's List esque. This scene. Yeah. It's crazy. That's why I'm like, I remember the first time I saw this movie being so taken aback. Just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. It's like little Magneto is being separated from his parents upon entrance to this, you know, Auschwitz concentration camp. His mother just starts st- screaming at the top of her lungs. And again, yeah, a scene straight out of fucking Schindler's List. It is haunting. And then he starts, like, trying to fight back and starts bending the metal bars of the fence at the entrance. Um, and then he's fucking knocked out with the butt of a gun by Nazis. It's like, whoa. Jesus. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. It really is. It's uh, 
and like I like it in the sense that it kind of like gives the villain I mean and comic book nerds probably know this way better than we do but it gives the villain pretty good like motivation of just like why he doesn't why he doesn't believe in people yeah <laughs> you know what I mean yeah because he I mean he was he was a child in Auschwitz like of course he doesn't yeah, I'd have some serious uh, doubts in humanity as well. It's a great a great opening, and it really sets the tone for this movie because it's not... Maybe it, because I'm just so accustomed to the Marvel movies now quipping and joking every other five minutes that this movie really is kind of much more darker than I anticipated uh, revisiting. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the X-Men movies have always had that tone. Even, I mean, Deadpool being the one break of it, but I always feel like the X-Men movies try and take themselves a little bit more self-seriously. You do get, like, a couple, like, comedic breaks now and then, but I, it, it, if I'm going to give the X-Men series credit for anything, I think it's just the fact that it's just, like, it's not trying to dig cheap laughs out of me to keep me awake every five minutes. We then flash forward to Meridian, Mississippi in the not-so-distant future, uh, where we meet Anna Paquin, who plays 17-year-old Marie, uh, also known as Rogue. Uh, I, I believe she accidentally puts her boyfriend in a coma here, right, after she kisses him, because yeah, her, her mutant power, she, like, absorbs people's life force or something like that, kind of? Yeah. Yeah, absorbs their energy. If the, they're a mutant, she absorbs their power. And we we do, it, it's a lot of character hopping here, a lot of introductions at the first start. Uh, we do meet Jean Grey. Uh, this is Famke Jensen, who is giving a speech to Congress about mutants, how, you know, this is the true next step of human evolution. We shouldn't necessarily be scared of them. But there's this whole mutant registration act that's coming through Congress uh, we meet the very slimy U.S. Senator Robert Kelly, who's a tri- attempting to pass this legislation, which would essentially force mutants to reveal their identities and abilities, right? It's a little too close to home, if we're being honest. I mean, just the political discord of not just yeah. this movie, but like every X-Men movie. He does this whole thing about how, you know, you, you people have to get licenses to drive cars. You register your weapons. These people should be well known. Um, but gosh, you know, it really does. It, it presents the, the argument both sides. And again, it's re- cl- clearly we're on the side of the mutants in the film. But at the same time, it really does make sense that if these people were to exist in the real world, likely this is this is the shit that have to, you know, combat. Like, yeah. Of course, it's always going to come down to shitty politics. Yeah, I mean, it's that same whole thing where we always try and, like, politicize any superhero, like the boys or, like... Uh, I mean, even Civil War, you know, all those movies kind of, yeah. Yeah, like uh, Hancock, that kind of shit where it's, you know... Hancock, yeah. Fucking, <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. Uh, they, they do mention in that speech, though, that most of the mutants' abilities starts when they hit puberty... Uh, these times of stress that co- sort of like pull the abilities out of them. And so that's kind of where I think Rogue is really starting to come into her own as a, a mutant, I suppose, and really understand her powers yeah. because we're, we're focused a lot on her. I forgot she's kind of our the audience conduit for the most part of the movie. Yeah, I think so. I think you're just like, and I didn't realize this. I for, I had forgotten this since the last time I saw this movie, but like I, I, she plays like a much bigger role in the film than I thought she was going to. I thought she was just kind of like, this is how we introduce Hugh Jackman. And she is, but like, this is like really the person you're supposed to be following throughout the whole movie. Yeah, unlike Days of Future Past, where I think they cut her out entirely, and then they released another cut of the film called The Rogue Cut, where they just put all her scenes back in. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. I don't understand that, but whatever. But also in attendance is Eric. This is uh, Magneto, who's now played by Ian McKellen. 
and his telepathic colleague, uh, Professor Charles Xavier, played by Patrick Stewart. Fucking phenomenal casting. I mean, it's the best casting ever. Like, they're best friends. They're <laughs> they're obviously amazingly well-trained British actors. Like, of course, it's Picard and Gandalf. <laughs> yeah, these two fucking nail it. And, I mean, from the beginning, it they automatically imbues these characters who... This is silly sci-fi comic book shit, but because they're played by these two actors, it immediately gives them the gravitas that they deserve. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Marie Rogue has run away from home. She's hitched a ride to, I think she's in like Alberta, Canada, <laughs> somehow. Yeah, they're, uh, they're in the gray white and off. Yeah, yeah. Well, she finally meets up with uh, Logan. She goes to some like weird bar, seedy bar, where there's like, you know, cage fights happening and shit. And I love, you know, Wolverine's Barrels on fire and shit. <laughs> there yeah. are, yeah. Classic barrels on fire. I understand that, but yeah, classic. <laughs> love it. Uh, I like his introduction, you know, and um, yeah, Wolverine, this fucking character, you know, grew to define this decade, really, and and beyond. It's, he's one of the most instantly recognizable characters, and Wol- I mean, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, again, another bit of brilliant casting that he was an unknown, essentially, at the time, and really, yeah. fu- like, this is what really introduced us to this act. Go listen to his Broadway recordings of him in Beauty and the Beast. He's fucking... I, I have a lot of respect for Hugh Jackman as an actor. He's I fucking amazing. That guy's, yeah, he can he truly can do it yeah. all. I fucking love that guy. I said Broadway. It's Australia. Sorry. Sorry for our Sorry, Australian guys. listeners. I know we have a bunch of them. Yeah, my bad. Huh, so Wolverine, if in case you didn't know, you grew up under a rock. He's this mutant who possesses, you know, superhuman healing abilities. He's got these metal claws that protrude from between his knuckles, and it hurts every time. Man. I, I, if you want more like Wolverine background, go delve into that like those comics. But like, his life just seems fucking miserable. <laughs> yeah, he's had a real fucking Keanu Reeves life. <laughs> yeah, he really has. It's sad. It's sad. Uh, but I will say the effects of the the fucking effects of the the blades coming out of his knuckles. You can tell partially. Sometimes they're using like a. A false hand where they are actually pushing real metal through fingers and shit, and like the skin's yeah. flexing. Other times it's it's uh, CGI. This looks better than it did in like that Wolverine Origins movie. Like yeah. I don't know how they did it, but yeah, most I will say I won't say all of, but most of the effects in this movie kind of I say tend to hold up. I think the most outlandish thing that they do is probably just like. Uh, this got the toad's tongue. Yes. Everything else, I mean, is pretty practical. It's a lot of makeup. It's a lot of like stunts. And yeah. We'll we'll delve into this movie later in terms of how it holds up against what we watch Marvel's stuff now. But anyway, go on. But Wolverine is sort of accosted after this fight uh, where he's won, but his opponent suspects he's a mutant, and uh, you know he kind of corners him, puts his fucking claws to their throat, and this sort of gets the attention of Rogue. So she sneaks out, um, kind of hitches a ride in his like camper truck type deal. And when he finds her, you know, there's the whole I'm going to leave you. But he's sort of got a heart of gold, so he's going to help her out. And just when they start sort of bonding and shooting the shit, they get into a car accident where it, it does not appear he's going that fast. But he hits this like tree trunk in the middle of the road and he gets fucking launched through this windshield at like such a degree that he must have been going 80 miles an hour. I don't understand how it happens, but it's kind of cool. I mean, and this and this is to show off his 
regenerative powers, his healing powers. Yes. He can't fucking die. Yeah. He gets up all slashed and all of his wounds start healing and she's like, oh shit. But finally, we do get a little action. I will say this movie, not not very heavy on the action. I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing or a dig, but not a whole lot in here, to be honest. And this is one of those, the bigger scenes anyway, or at least at the start of the movie here, where we meet, yeah. who is it, Sabretooth, right? Sabretooth, yeah. This fucking guy. He's one of my least favorite villains. <laughs> He's a big-ass boy. I mean, I honestly, almost all the villains except Mystique I and Magneto, I kind of hate in like a lot of these X-Men movies. Because <laughs> this guy, he's played by Tyler Maine, who would go on to do uh, play Michael Myers in Rob Zombie's remakes. And so he's fucking throwing Logan all around. Uh, he does, well, Logan rather, gets saved by two mutants that come out of absolute nowhere, uh, Storm and Cyclops. Turns out Sabretooth is working for Magneto. And when Logan is, I, I guess, put into some sort of a coma or I, I can't remember how he gets knocked out or something, but he does wake up in the facility like in Xavier's. He hits him with a tree trunk. Okay. Okay. So when he wakes up, it seems at first that um, Jean is trying to take some blood, but he freaks the fuck out and almost kills her and then spends a little bit of time wandering around several different hallways before he realizes, oh shit, this is actually a school of some sort. What's this? And they're in Westchester County, New York. Yeah, pizza, please. <laughs> hey, taxi, am I right? You know, this mansion be, will become sort of a staple of this franchise. We go back to it pretty much every movie. And, you know, it's it's like, you know, it's like fucking Hogwarts for mutants. It's kind of a fun little bit. Like, I like the conceit here. Yeah, yeah, I do. I like it more than I like Hogwarts. Oh, shit, dude. Shots wow, fired. Sh- yeah, exactly. We just lost six v- listeners. Fine. <laughs> J.K. Rowling's a bigot. <laughs> Xavier <laughs> Xavier tells Logan that uh, Magneto appears to have taken an interest in him, um, and he wants him to stay at the School for Mutants um, just in the meantime while they figure out what's going on, while they investigate the matter, essentially, and Rogue enrolls into the school. So we do get this little, like, almost montage of life at school. Uh, you know, some of it's fun. Uh, I don't necessarily like this guy that is like crushing on her. This this frost guy. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I think like he that plays either. I don't know what his name is. <laughs> yeah, I think he plays a more prominent role in later films. I, he's at yeah. least in that second one, I think. Bobby Drake, that's his name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Senator Kelly um, is abducted by another one of Magneto's minions, uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos as Mystique. Uh, this character, you know, I got a, back in the day, man, it was an awakening for me. I really liked blue ladies. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. But it is an inter- I can't say an interesting <laughs> uh, suit, but the way they, they shot this, I imagine this must've been hell for this poor lady, like to get into this costume or, or makeup rather, cause there's no costume. Cause Jennifer Lawrence ends up playing mystique in the days of futures path. Yeah. I, I don't know how you take on this role and you basically have to be like, it looks like you're naked in a bodysuit. Like you're mostly naked. There are a few bits of, of, of covering on, you know, some of your parts, but for the most part, it's just, yeah, complete, just blue body paint. Yeah. And I mean, filming it. So you're not looking up someone's butt is like crazy. And like, it's just like, it seems like hell. And like, I, I don't think anybody necessarily would have begrudged, uh, Anyone. Well, I think they do that later on. I think that's what Jennifer Lawrence sort of made a lot of fanboys pissed off when she chose to like in the later films, you know, chose to like cover up like it's not she's not even though she is mystique. Most of the most of those movies, 
she's maybe one or two of those scenes where she's actually in the full, you know, what we anticipate that character to look like mode. Yeah, I mean, you can just kind of see the motivation behind, like, this, where it's just like, this is how we get away with PG-13, but also titties. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's just, it's a little gratuitous. And I get that. Like, we're probably pissing off X-Men fanboys that like, well, this is what she looks like in the, in the comics, but like, sure, it's, it's a movie, man. I mean, you know, we, we can cover up an actress and make this easier on ourselves and like maybe a little bit more watchable. Yeah. I, I think the saving grace of it is that she's honestly not on screen a whole lot here. They do do a lot of quick cutting. And I will say Rebecca Romaine Stamos, I like her performance as Mystique. And I do like her physicality, like her kicking people's faces and yeah. shit, like uses a lot, a lot of legwork here. Oh, she does justice to the character for sure. Yeah. But yeah, but man, I just, it sounds like it sucked. I would imagine it, it was a shitty, must, yeah, just the makeup process alone must have been fucking terrible. But yeah, Senator Kelly is brought to the, uh, you know, the evil villain hideout layer there on some uncharted island. And uh, Magneto uses Kelly as a test subject for this machine he's been making. Um, I guess it's powered by his magnetic abilities and it generates this sort of field of radiation which induces mutations in normal human beings. Okay. I guess his plan is to basically turn everyone into a mutant so that we can't, so that there is no prejudice any longer, I suppose. He believes that, like every other mutant, he believes that like this is the next logical step in human evolution. Not something to be feared, but like something that like humans should just accept and get over. And so I think he's just trying to bring them all into the fold. I mean, obviously, he's got his own dubious sort of intentions to it, but I, th I think he's just trying to speed up the process of evolution here. And, I mean, the movie itself, I think the comics themselves, too, and what actually led Brian Singer to take on the material was the sort of, you know, the allegories for, specifically, I think, um, homophobia is really what I think a lot of, yeah. I think in the early days of X-Men, especially what Brian Singer wanted to bring out of it was, yeah, that sense of other, the, um, again, you can put a lot of different, you know, dis disabled, any any sort of marginalized community you can put in there. He at first turned down the the property saying that it was too, you know, childlike and, and goofy, but I think found a lot of meaning in sort of, you know, the, the, the layers and the metaphors that I think a lot of uh, stories sort of playing on anyway. Yeah, agreed. We do meet some of these iconic characters who I thought, again, had more to do in this movie, but are kind of relegated to one, maybe five scenes at the absolute most. And that's James Marsden as Cyclops and Halle Berry as Storm. I thought Halle Berry played a much larger role in this movie. She does yeah. not. Yeah, I think she gets more to do in part two, as does Cyclops. But yeah, I was just expecting them to have way more to do in this movie. And they're, yeah, really relegated to side characters. Really, really side characters. Like, yeah, I mean, fine. Because James Marsden is dating, or so yeah, Cyclops is dating Jean Grey, um, which they've been doing. Yeah, I'm a, that must be a thing in the comic books. I knew it was a, in the cartoon series and because they, they keep this going throughout the entire series, even when they reboot the series and shit. Yeah. But it's like... I love how James Marsden, even as a you know a mutant, like is still getting cucked somehow. It's like he he started his his, his career as just being the second guy who <laughs> the, the, like the female love interest yeah. will eventually not end up with. Like yeah, uh, this hilarious. poor guy. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> 
Ah, shit. But yeah, stay away from my girl. Because Logan, yeah. obviously, he's threatened by Logan's man musk. And who wouldn't be, dude? Look at him. Although he's I will gor- say... He's gorgeous. Gorgeous man. His body looks like a normal human man. And then later mm-hmm. on, when he just goes fucking out... You know, it's like The Rock. When you look at them 20 years prior, you're like, oh, that he, he was a human at first. And now you're yeah. like, Jesus Christ, man. That is intense. The veins, the vast, so vascular. Well, I also love, too, that like his hair is all goofy. And, and it just keeps getting goofier and goofier throughout all the Wolverine movies. And then in Logan, they're just like, uh, you know what? Just fuck it. You just got hair. Like, you just got old man hair. <laughs> Rogue ends up visiting Wolverine during the night while he's having a sort of nightmare and he's like startled. He accidentally like wakes up super quick and accidentally stabs her. But luckily, due to her ability, she's able to sort of absorb his healing ability to recover. And this is observed by fellow students who arrive, like come in to help. (laughs) She's uh, later convinced by Mystique pretending to be Bobby. That's right. Pretending to be her crush, Bobby Drake, that Xavier is angry with her. He kind of wants her to leave the school. And so this then prompts her to run away. And so we got to go find Rogue again. Again, a lot of this movie based on like just making sure Rogue is back at the school and and happy mutant. Yeah. And she also, while she's there, sabotages the uh, little brain machine that. That's right. Cerebro. Yeah. So the senator, meanwhile, Senator Kelly does manage to escape the prison after his mutation allows him to sort of squeeze through the bars of this uh, prison cell. Dude, I fucking love this. This is my, everything to do with this senator's like mutations, especially his demise uh, are my favorite parts of the movie. I mean, like they really take a shit all over this guy. If it is like a, uh, a metaphor for homophobia and I'm sure it is like, and this guy is the homophobic senator who's trying to like outlaw gay people. Uh, like they punish him for it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cause inevitably those are the people who end up, you know, texting people in bathroom stalls and doing all sorts of weird exactly. shit. You know, eventually anyway. Exactly. Oh boy. But yeah, he does <laughs> squeeze through these bars. I love it. And like falls to presumably his death off this like cliff, but lands in the mercy in the ocean rather, uh, and ends up fucking hanging dong on a beach later on when he emerges. Also funny. Uh, we do get a little more of Cerebro. This is the machine that Xavier has produced, and this is sort of like a mutant locate, like a mutant GPS, I guess, because um, he can use it to find Rogue, who's currently at a train station. So the X Men go off to retrieve her, and that's when Mystique uh, sneaks into the school. She sabotages Cerebro. So at the train station, this is where we get sort of another big action sequence. Uh, Sabretooth and Toad. I hate Toad so much. I don't know why they were like, yeah, Toad. There's so many X-Men villains you could have put in this movie, and they were like, Toad. Yeah, so from what I understand, I believe Nightcrawler and at least one other one were supposed to be in this movie, but it ballooned the budget a bit too much, so Fox said that you gotta cut a few of these, so I think they went with these ones specifically because they were a little cheaper than the other X-Men villains they wanted to use. But yeah, Nightcrawler. Toad's, Toad's real yeah. fucking goofy. Nightcrawler, uh, I think is like a big like villain in the second one. They make yes. a huge deal that Nightcrawler's in the second one. Yeah, I think that one opens with the like the White House siege, right? I think with him or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember. So yeah, there's a big big fight there at the train station. We got Cyclops and Storm. 
Uh, this is where I will say you do notice a lot of those dated CGI effects, particularly yeah. with Cyclops's like red eye shooting blaze thing, yeah. <laughs> whatever's going on there. Or also the wire, also the wire work that's being done whenever someone gets thrown. <laughs> yeah, well, hey man, I love me some wire work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I do too. But it's it's pretty brutal in these. <laughs> it's it's a uh, yeah, definitely apparent. It's at this point where uh, Wolverine is trying to get Rogue off of the train and Magneto uh, kind of rips open the train and shit, comes on board and says, kind of reveals essentially that he was never really after Wolverine. He's been after Rogue this whole time because it's her powers he's after to use to sort of like power his machine. Which is so fucking obvious too, right? When they're like in the beginning because they're trying to figure out like what Magneto wants with Wolverine. And it's like apparent to like everybody in the audience. So it's like, well, he's not. Like, obviously, he's not. (laughs) He wants him for that bod, dude. Yeah, like, what do you need out of a fucking, like, weird drunk dude? Like, you just, like... (laughs) He needs a washboard, those abs. He wants the person who can steal other people's energy. Obviously, that's what he's after. What are you guys talking about? (laughs) But he does um, arrive. He kind of kidnaps Rogue. um, And I do... I gotta say, this is this is the best part of the movie, in my opinion. This was in all of the trailers I remember, and had me psyched for the movie. And I just think it's a fucking awesome scene. Is when he's exiting the train station, all the cops are surrounding him, and yeah, he fucking lifts the two cop cars up, drops them on the ground. He takes everyone's guns away and like forces them, like turns them on all of the cops and shit, dude. It's a great the dude. Bullet, that one guy, <laughs> yes. the bullet scene is my favorite. Yeah, no, I this is like. Like, I, if anything, I want to complain about the villains in this movie. It's that, like, we didn't get enough of Magneto doing cool shit like this. They really, like, drive this home, at least in Days of Futures Past, I know. They do a lot of Magneto, like, is fucking insane sort of things. But, like, yeah, this is the kind of cool shit that I, like, really want out of this movie. Not just, like, no, I just happen to bend this piece of metal to keep you from moving. Which we get a lot of that. And it's like, eh, I don't want it. Dude, when he yeah he fires the bullet and it like he's stopping it as it's entering the guy's head so the guy's like screaming just like oh <laughs> as it's like yeah. slowly not even like really breaking the skin yet but it's just like touching his forehead it's so fucking good yeah fucking amazing yeah I love that scene I love this whole bit and then Charles Xavier is sort of in one of the cars and he's manipulating his like henchman to like yeah. choke him out or to stop him from doing what he's doing and. Yeah, again, I, I just really like the way that they're able to use all of these mutants' abilities to, to truly further the story and also just create, like, a great set piece. I, I like this scene a lot. Yeah, I do, too. I think it's I think it's really well done. Then Senator Kelly arrives at the mansion uh, because he realizes at this point, you know what, I need help. So he goes to try to find Jean Grey, do some tests on him, just monitoring his body, and they do realize what sort of Magneto's plan is. And I gotta say, man, my favorite visual of the movie goes to this bit here where Kelly's body rejects his mutation eventually and his whole fucking... Turns him into water. (laughs) Dude, he just dissolves into liquid. It looks so good because, again, it is CGI, but the way they merge it with... There's got to be some sort of fucking, like, prosthetic or something that starts... I don't know how they do this because, again, it, it looks good still, like, 22 years later. It looks great. Yeah. But Gene does manage to fix Cerebro... Um, she learns that Magneto plans to place his like mutation inducing machine on Liberty Island and yeah, essentially use it to mutate the world leaders who I guess are meeting at some sort of summit on Ellis Island. And so, you know, where we're fucking headed, dude, Statue of Liberty. Hell yeah, bro. 
But yeah, we just basically get this like big old action set piece scene here. The end is where everyone's sort of just sort of fighting each other. This is the scene that I remember really from the movie is this whole Statue of Liberty scene at the top with the lightning storm in particular, just like tossing Toad off a fucking giant building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, resulting in probably one of the best lines in cinema history. Uh, do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? Same thing that happens Sending. to everything else. <laughs> You know what? I didn't hate that line. I, I, it's such a stupid really, line. I, I like. I I agree, and like I like, but I I, I kind of like the like obvious humor in it too. Because because like, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. Yeah, she's not wrong. It's like it is it is stupid, and they'd have been better off just not writing it. But like it is like I remember just being like, because I think I I think I remember being like like i don't know like same thing that happens with like any animal and then like she says that and i was like damn it i was so close yeah you're anticipating some sort of pun or i don't know some sort of toad joke but no it's it's just very basic science yeah some sort of like awesome like yeah storm and then she just is just like exactly what you would think like Oh boy, yeah, yeah. Halle Berry, uh, sadly, yeah, just given almost nothing to do in this movie. Ah, it's too bad. I think she's got way more of a bigger role in the next few movies, if I remember. But uh, she does, yeah. yeah. And I think she loses the accent, or the accent comes and goes. She's not doing the same thing in later sequels. Could not if I pick up what that accent was. Same, yeah. Don't know what she was doing there, but yeah. either way, yeah, all yeah. good. Because yeah. the X Men do win, you know. Good defeats evil. Hooray. Uh, Wolverine confronts uh, Magneto, Cyclops blasts him away, um, which allows Wolverine to sort of destroy the machine, and he does transfer his powers to Rogue, and, you know, his healing abilities sort of rejuvenate her, uh, I think while putting himself into another another coma, you know, he's been in a few (laughs) movies so far, we might as well get him in one last one before the old end credits. Yeah, fuck it. I know, I did laugh at how many times people are going in and out in this last scene. (laughs) It's it's funny to me. And uh, when Rogue comes to, she's finally got that little white stripe of hair that uh, we know her from the comic books and whatnot. Uh, but Xavier and Logan, they wake up because also, yeah, <laughs> Xavier also in a coma. They wake up a little worse for wear, but they're alive, all good to go. And uh, the group also learns that Mystique escaped the island. Uh, at first, we thought she died, um, but it per- turns out she was able to escape and is now impersonating Senator Kelly, and sort of retracting his support of the anti-mutant legislation. And so it seems like, yeah, she's going to be using that to her the mutant's advantage. Which I, I kind of like that idea. Yeah. And then, yeah, we end with Magneto sort of imprisoned in that uh, complex that's constructed of plastic, not metal. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they're mm-hmm. playing the old chess game and whatnot, him and Xavier. And basically Magneto warns him, you know, I'm going to escape one of these days and the war is coming. And it, it's weird. It's not weird. I like, again, I like how they are true friends. And like, even though they are adversaries, it's like, yeah, I know when the war comes, like I will be here. It's almost like I will be here to either help you, you know, if you need it, or like, I'll be here to fight you if you're mm-hmm. going to like turn on us type of deal. But yeah, I like the way this, this yeah. is a great ending to set up future installments without it hammering you over the head. Like, Hey guys, a sequel's coming type of deal. Like they do with Marvel movies now. Exactly. And I love, I do love that relationship you were just talking about. It is, it's one of the most complicated friendships I think in any sort of franchise where it's just like, they really like, they are good friends and they are like, you know, they're, they're brothers in like a very, very unique and difficult struggle. But God damn it is like, you know, 
<laughs> like they they just have such different radical viewpoints of the world and like it just meets at a head and like forces them to fight each other and i think it's it's it really is like such like a fun thing to watch throughout all of these movies that i sort of complex human thought process agreed and i think they do explore that specifically in uh first class pretty well mcavoy and fassbender yes, yeah for sure yeah well, there we go, man. That was X-Men. Mm-hmm. I, I Yeah, I, I can start it off here. I, I do think sure. this movie, for the most part, really holds up. I think it's one of the better comic book movies. It's definitely one of the best of its series. And I think especially comparing it to the movies we get nowadays, I, I just truly appreciated its tone. It's uh, similar to what that Rotten Tomatoes consensus read. was. It was like something about its... What is surprisingly sharp narrative focus. Uh, yeah, it's still got the 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that it is a really focused film. Like this isn't, even though it has so many characters to introduce, to um, get us involved with their stories and to set up what they're capable of, I think that really it is focused on such a, a straightforward story that we don't get lost in all these weird side plots. Even though there are so many characters introduced, it seems like it is all in function um, of this story itself. And so I don't, it's not bloated. This was an hour 45, which we talked about at the beginning. Man, did I love that? Yeah. I think that the casting here does so many favors. Like I think had you cast a lot of different actors in these roles that we might not be where we are today with the series. It might not have been as successful a franchise, but yeah, Hugh Jackman in particular, uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, I think are just fucking born for these roles. You know, it, it does have some dated CGI. I will say a lot. Some of the writing yeah. also kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Not the toad line. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, correct. But I, but I will say, <laughs> yeah, a little heavy handed at times. But, you know, these, these is a comic book movie. And these movies, you know, kind of sometimes have to beat the audience over the head. And I understand. I think X-Men in terms of what they're really trying to say and the metaphors that are on display here, a little more elevated than your traditional superhero movie property as well. Yeah. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to, I don't necessarily think it's an 82%. I don't think it's, you know, a best picture nominee type of no. deal, but I will give it, I'll give it a 75. I think it's a three out of four star film. I think it's one of the better comic book movie adaptations we've had maybe ever. Um, again, this is, again, take this all with a grain of salt because this is coming from someone who, one, didn't read a lot of comic book movies back in the day, but also is so burnt out on the superhero genre that I just couldn't care less about most of the new stuff that's coming out. And so to revisit something I did enjoy back in the day, I think it holds up. I think if you were a fan of this back in the day, absolutely give it a watch if you haven't seen it in a while. And I think for some reason, if maybe you've never seen this movie, uh, I'd assume then you'd probably haven't seen any of the other comic book movies. But I will say if you're going to pick maybe a handful, maybe five or ten movies based on Marvel comics, this I might actually recommend as one of them, even including all the Marvel shit we've got today with the Avengers and all that good stuff. This is just a really focused story with a great cast. I really appreciated the the darker tone and um, I'd, I'd watch it again. And I think it's worth your nostalgia if you are nostalgic for it. Yeah, uh, I, I 100% agree with you on pretty much everything. I think you even stole my freaking rating. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I will say this, though. Watching this movie made me a little sad and I'll explain why. Um, because it is remarkably well done. It like it really is like you said it's focused this movie gets right down to it it doesn't stray from the path at all it is like this is the story we're sticking to it 
there's like not a lot of like these weird like side gags or side plots that like slow down a lot of superhero movies now it's a cool 145 or whatever it is and i really appreciate that and i but so what makes me sad about this movie is that i think it's probably one of the best superhero movies ever made i really do i think it is tremendously well done in terms of marvel and all this you know everything else that they're coming out with but what makes me sad is i think back in 2000 or whenever this movie came out when i saw this this would have blown my mind this would have been like 90 across the board movie now it is another superhero movie to me and that sucks and i hate that so much because i like i said i can't help but compare it to all the marvel movies coming out and those movies stick to a formula that works for them and has been working since this movie. And it just, you know, that bums me out a lot because I I couldn't get as excited for it on this watch as I probably would have had if the market wasn't inflated with a billion fucking superhero movies right now. Um, I would totally agree. If you are nostalgic for this movie, you will be still. It's it's great. It's a really good movie. I, I think even in terms of the effects, like you said, it definitely holds up weirdly, weirdly, weirdly holds up. But I think a lot of that is also due to the fact that their fight scenes are way more simpler. There's not a billion CGI flashing lights and bangs flying in your face at light speed <laughs> every every action sequence. They're wearing suits and shit and like you don't they're not pressing buttons and their Spider-Man exactly. just like they're fucking d- creates itself on them on their bodies. This is what happens if you do slow down a little bit and you take your time and make a movie that's like a movie, not a fucking $200 million commercial for a movie that's coming out in 10 years. But, you know, that's my angry rant of it. I'm going to give it a 75 as well. I do think this movie is very, very good. I would watch it again. Um, I would even watch X2 after this movie. That's how much I liked it. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Casting was phenomenal. Everything I liked about it. Um, I just I I'm just bummed out at superhero movies in general so I think that kind of that kind of hit me over the head a little bit when I was watching it and that sucks but what are you gonna do yeah I I, I wonder if you know we're gonna get to a point where you know when we were kids the original Superman movie from like 78 or whatever to my dad was like no like this is this blew my mind like I wonder if that yeah. is what this is to our generation where We've seen so much. They've seen so much since this that it just seems so 100%. distant. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I worry that we're yeah. so out of touch. No, I mean, 100 percent. And we say <laughs> that know? about some of the Tim Burton Batman movies, too, where we're just like, yeah, this was yeah. incredible. Like, yep. This was a great Joker. And it's just like, well, and then Christopher Nolan came in and blew the lid off that. And like, I, I appreciate that Christopher Nolan movie. But like, I think we just take these Marvel movies so fucking seriously sometimes now that and like they're not they're comic book movies like just chill out a little i don't know i mean i'm gonna get a lot of hate mail for hating on marvel but it's we all are. i mean that's how it goes i mean and dc i mean jared leto thankfully came along and saved the joker so yeah that's true and he'll and you know what he's gonna save marvel with morbius so morbius if that ever comes out am i right <laughs> keep pushing it back they just it's keep, amazing keep on pushing it kicking that down the, can, God. Yeah, the can down the road oh boy well yeah i mean I, i'm uh glad we revisited this one um 
I think at this point we really just got to finish off like Daredevil and Hulk, and I think we've really covered that oh, whole God. like <laughs> that whole first swath of I superhero movie or comic Ed book movies. I loved that Ed Norton Hulk. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> really Ed Norton. Did. Ed Norton Hulk's fun. I'm talking about the Eric Bana 2003 one where he like fights those oh, giant yeah. dogs. <laughs> if you remember yeah, that, I don't yeah. Know about that. yeah, oops, my goose. Yeah, yeah. Oh uh, boy, but uh, yeah. Well, uh, that was X Men. Uh, Zach, before we get into next week's movie, anything you want to recommend? Not recommend over the last couple weeks? Uh, just one thing. I haven't really had a chance to delve into anything new. I've been trying to catch up on like other things, but. Uh, um, show that I was watching. Apparently it only had one season on MTV a time ago. It's on Netflix now. And if you're a big Bo Burnham fan, give it a watch. Zach Stone is going to be famous. It's like, I like, I don't know why it makes me laugh so hard. It's about like this high school kid who, instead of like going to college, uses all of his money, like his college savings on a documentary crew to film him while he tries to be famous. And there's like nothing remarkable about him at all. So, and it's, you know, it's just Bo Burnham being Bo Burnham. It's really funny. So, uh, Zach Stone is going to be famous on Netflix. I would give it a watch if you're looking for something really stupid, but, but, you know, quick and fun. Speaking of really stupid, quick and fun, Zach, I have to admit, I got peacocked. Uh, <laughs> I got peacocked, and I gotta say, oh! it's worth it for the MacGruber alone, my friend. I was I gonna talk to you about this. I really want to watch that. I don't know. It's if I, so good. It's so dumb and I so funny. I have to funny. look into my peacock yeah. and see if I got it, but it's so fun. I yeah. like, or it, I heard it's fun. I heard it it's is. really, really good, and yeah. I like the trailers for it god damn i miss that mcgruber movie so (laughs) (laughs) one of the funniest movies i think in the last couple decades i fucking love mcgruber and yeah the character it's it's just so ridiculous and over the top um but yeah definitely worth a watch if you're a fan of the movie or the character on those old uh, snl skits that's good the other one i will recommend is a movie i did check out uh power of the dog on netflix uh speaking Mm. of cumberbatch cumber cookie uh, pretty good. I mean, this one's getting a lot of awards attention. As of now, one of the front runners for a Best Picture nomination, and who knows, Cumberbatch could actually get a, an, Oscar, an actor Oscar for it as well. Hey, guess wow. what? He finally perfected that American accent. It took him a while. Uh, good for took him. him a while. Good for him. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, I did run through the uh, four Scream movies for the new one coming out. came out today as we're recording right now, um, mm. partly because I wanted to revisit before the new one as uh, they're some of my favorites, but also... Uh, uh, if you want some additional content, I am going to be going back on the Thrill Me Australia podcast for sort of a retrospective after we watch that next one, just to see how it holds up in uh, according to the other franchise ones. So nice, yeah, nice. that will drop in yeah. the next couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm trying to power through the Matrix movies and, and get to this <sighs> one before I they still got to see HBO. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I still got to see. It. I've heard. People saying it's some, one of the best or one of the worst movies of the yeah, year. So I'm I very fascinated. Very, very curious to like see. I, I'm so fucking excited. I don't like. I just didn't need a fourth Matrix movie. They didn't need to do that for me, <laughs> and they did. And they did it. Ah, oh, shit. Well, next week we are headed back to uh, 1990, pretty much as early as we cover on this podcast, to a sequel to a film that. I gotta be honest, it was the sequel I watched most growing up. Uh, I did like that first one, but I don't remember yeah. either of them much, and I think it got three. All I think there was this, there was one after this too. There was a third. There was a third one, and like you, I re- I remember the second one. I mean, I haven't seen it since I was like maybe like five, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but like I remember the second one more than I remember the first one. It's going to be a fucking doozy. <laughs> 
Look Who's Talking 2, T-O-O, uh, 1990. Uh, it is on Hulu right now if you want to stream it before we actually record the episode, but good golly God. These are my favorite episodes to do, like the early 90s, where I know there's going to be a mountain of problematic oh, material. this <laughs> is going to be, I'm sure, problematic themes of the movie, and just the insanity of John Travolta voicing a baby. No, wait, no, hang on. No, it's, it's Bruce Willis voicing the baby. John Travolta's oh, the yeah, dad. Oh, yeah, Bruce Willis. <laughs> John, John Travolta's the dad. Excuse oh, me. Oh, my I'm gosh. Sorry. Bruce Willis voicing a baby. <laughs> whose lips don't move like they're literally just filming like a kid yeah, they're like, doing the homeward bound thing they're doing the homeward bound thing can the parents like hear them i can't remember i don't think they do i don't think they oh can but again God, it's this so is gonna long. be the dumbest fucking movie i can't wait <laughs> oh man uh, but yeah that is uh, currently streaming on hulu if you want to give it a watch and you can check out all of our episodes they're currently streaming there on nbd.podbean.com our original podcast hosted site but you can find us wherever you download podcasts as just yeah. search for us or any of the movies we've covered spotify apple iHeartRadio, we're there pornhub pornhub um xtube <laughs> brazzers i know these names more than my own kids whatever he says in that show i know the the names of these sites better than i know my own grandma <laughs> uh tim robinson uh give me a season three please Please. Um, yep. So don't forget, you can check us out on those. Also, please follow us on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, and don't forget to write us an email. You can send us a recommendation, give us a review, criticize us, uh, threaten to kill us at nostalgiabedamnedpod at gmail.com. We've gotten too many death threats. Um, yeah, we've gotten <laughs> a lot of them. It's great. Uh, no, but thank you so much for uh, sticking with us in the new year. We've got some uh, fun shows coming up, so yeah. I'm hopeful for a, a solid 2022 because, good God, it's it's just been... It's been a drag. <laughs> not fun, not a fan, yeah. No, no. Uh, good God. But thanks yeah. so much. Uh, please uh, tell a friend about the show if you can, and uh, best of all, just write us a review on any of those platforms that you do download the podcast off. It really helps get the uh, word out to new folks and maybe tricks them into thinking it's a decent show. Yeah, and we, we're all about tricking people, so please help. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Have a good one. Bye.